0: Hello, and welcome to Lucas on Thanks so much for joining me this evening. Well, the heatwave continues. Wimbledon is over with Mr. Nick Kyrgios having yet another serve and volley disagreement with the umpire during the final. Mr. Johnson is looking for a new job, and the hopeful candidates who are looking to replace him and move their furniture into number 10, they're all circling. And surprise, surprise, the candidates disagree about the way forward for Britain. Should tax be raised, be maintained or be reduced? That's at least one question under hot debate and disagreement continues. Here in America, division continues following the recent Roe versus Wade decision with lines sharply drawn between pro-life and pro-choice convictions. And of course. As we look back over the last two COVID-stained years, we realize that the church has been a place of hot conflict and disagreement. It seems that we don't know how to disagree agreeably. Robert Shrum has said, Too often, today, we are trapped in an angry public square where those on the other side are seen not as opponents but as enemies, and the loser, in effect, tries to burn down the stadium. This is a fateful danger to democracy. In all of this shouting and disagreement, let's hear what Scripture has to say to us as the people of God. Ephesians chapter 4, 31 and 32 in the Good News Bible exhorts us like this, Get rid of all bitterness, passion and anger. No more shouting or insults. No more hateful feelings of any sort. Instead, be kind and tender-hearted to one another and forgive one another as God has forgiven you through Christ. The first of two shows, then, on how to disagree here on Lucas on Life. Perhaps you've done it. You've looked around at the local church that you're part of, and while you celebrate the good and beautiful things about it, you've wondered, looking back, what must it have been like to be part of the early church? Persecution and pressure aside, when we look back into history, we can wear rose-tinted glasses. We can get the notion that the early Christians bounced from miracle to miracle, a portrait of perfect harmony and togetherness. In fact, the opposite is true. The New Testament makes that clear. Let's remember that the early church was birthed into a culture that was extremely divided. The Jews hated the Gentiles, and the feeling was mutual. Insulting words were exchanged. The Jews would call the Gentiles the dogs. And then there was division between the religious elite, like the Pharisees, and the ordinary people The Pharisees had put together a labyrinth of irrelevant rules and regulations that seemed to make following God impossible. They had 269 regulations just about eating a meal. They debated about whether you could pray if you were in the top of a tree, how much you could greet a widow at a funeral, how much you could congratulate a bride on her wedding day. They even debated the utterly irrelevant issue of, if you were baking bread while naked and then wanted to offer that bread as an offering, was it unclean? That one's been worrying me for quite a while. The word Pharisee is the Greek word paroushi, the separate ones. There was a huge division between them and the ordinary people. And then the Jews hated the Samaritans they would add miles to their journeys to avoid going through Samaritan country. That's why when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, it really was a shocker to the listeners, and the Samaritans returned the favor. Of course, everyone hated the Romans. They were the occupying forces. And so this was the culture into which the early church was born an ideal situation for major conflict and disagreement. And when we turn to the New Testament and we look at books like the Book of Acts, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and the Gospels, we see that there were tensions, tensions even on Jesus's team. There was tax collector Matthew, who had a franchise from the Roman government as a tax gatherer, The ordinary Jewish people hated him. They saw him as a lackey for the Romans. He had sold out. That man, Matthew, was on the same Jesus team as Simon the Zealot, a man who hated the government. In other words, when we look back and we see at least three occasions of tension in Jesus' team, people having a row with him standing right there, we see that it was not a bed of roses, rather a context for conflict. Over the last couple of years, in churches across the globe, there have been hot buttons that, if we push them, the arguments start to begin. Here's a few hot topics. Issues like racism, gender, bathrooms. Here in America, guns, vaccines, Biden, Trump. Universally, Masks, LGBTQ, environment, war, abortion, coming back to America again, or maybe it's an international issue, border control, refugees, big government, small government. If we're looking for a fight, there are plenty of issues for us to choose from. And so often when we disagree in a way that is unhelpful, The motive becomes about winning. It's about me being right and you being wrong. And it's my duty to set you straight. The reality is that over the last couple of years, people have left churches that they've been part of for many years. Families have even been divided because they couldn't come to a place of agreement. And for church leaders especially, there's been a pressure to speak up, to take sides. You're condemned if you don't have an opinion. Social media has fueled the problem with people on Facebook making statements like, if your minister doesn't preach about this, then leave the church. Over 40% of Christian leaders in America say that they have seriously considered ending full-time ministry within the past year. Disagreement. You see, it's not just out there in our culture, but not being able to agree agreeably, it's right where we live. This evening's show is the first of two where we're thinking about conflict and disagreement. Let's say immediately that conflict is healthy and neutral. Unity is not about uniformity. If you are part of a church where everybody agrees about everything, run for your life because you probably found yourself in a cult. We don't all like the same things and we don't all share the same views, It was General George Patton who said, if everyone is thinking alike, then somebody is not thinking. The reality is that we meet together at the foot of the cross. Look around your local church and celebrate the reality that many of us would never be in the same room at all. It is Jesus that has brought us together. We don't share the same likes and dislikes. Some of us have loved following Wimbledon, and some of us snore when it comes on. We've got political variety. The absence of conflict is actually unhelpful. We should be a people who can express our opinions freely but kindly. Here's a question. Do we have an expectation that everybody in our church will agree with us About everything. You see, we tend to think that we're right. We should also know that the deepest, the most beautiful relationships can actually be shattered when we don't handle disagreement appropriately. When we look into the New Testament, we see a dynamic friendship between the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. When Paul Who was previously known as Saul the Persecutor, when he came to Christ, he tried to join the church in Jerusalem. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 9. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe that he'd truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. It was Barnabas who had stepped up and vouched for Saul. Later on, it would be Barnabas who was leading the church in Antioch, and he would go off to Tarsus, where Saul had gone for 10 years, his hidden years. No church was planted there. It was Barnabas who'd opened the first opportunity of ministry for the man now known as Paul. And then the Holy Spirit had said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. You see, this was a friendship that was birthed by the Holy Spirit. They'd shared a first missionary journey with incredible effectiveness. And they'd actually endured a clash as well. You can read about it in Galatians chapter 2. But sadly, there comes a time when Barnabas and Paul have a very sharp conflict, so bad that they actually separate and they never work together again. It's sad because they never pray together about their conflict, even though the book of Acts is full of prayerful decisions, choices made, choices made after worship and fasting. But with Paul and Barnabas, it seems that their row their argument and subsequent parting was fueled by hurt rather than any sense of God's direction and wisdom. Shared prayer is hard to accomplish when we disagree, but it's surely the best thing we can do when we stop talking heatedly to each other and pause for a while to talk with God. And then there's no attempt to seek any help from a mediator in their fuss, and that's odd too, because these two have served as peacemakers just shortly before in the Council of Jerusalem. They knew what consultation and facilitated conversation could achieve, even in the most contentious situations. But they handled this disagreement by themselves, and they handled it badly. And so it ended. Barnabas stomped off with his cousin John Mark and headed for Cyprus, and Paul recruited Silas, And made his way to Syria and Silesia. Both men continue to serve God, but not together. The deepest friendships, Holy Spirit-anointed partnerships, can be destroyed when we don't handle disagreement in the right way. We're reflecting on how to disagree. One hint will be that we should always speak the truth in love because when we don't, we don't speak the truth. In Ephesians 4, 15, we read, We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Here's an awkward thing that I've noticed in the Christian community. It's the notion that if we're talking about politics, we don't have to act and speak like Christians. Somehow we get time out we consider that we've just got to stand up for the truth. But truth with love brings healing. Truth told in love enables us to grow. Truth in love produces change. Truth and love are the two necessary ingredients for any relationship with integrity. Love, because all positive relationships begin with friendship, appreciation, respect. And truth, because no relationship of trust can grow from dishonesty deceit, or betrayal. Everything springs up from the solid stuff of integrity. Perhaps in your situation, you found yourself speaking up for the truth, but there's not been much love in it. And that has fueled the fire of division and disunity. Perhaps that's true in our relationships. We need to come to God again and help us to know that although conflict is healthy, it needs to be handled in the right way. Thanks so much for joining me this week. And together, next Sunday evening, we'll continue to think about how to disagree. See you next time. Lucas on Life.